Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Thank you. Well, uh, as Alan said, my name is Matt File. Um, really honored to be here this morning. Uh, it's kind of weird for me being uh, in a different church. You know, you kind of go to your own church. I've been part of my church, Life Baptist Church, on the southwest part of town for about four or five years now. Uh, talking with Aaron, uh, I'm really honored that he let me kind of come up here this morning and share with everybody. Uh, speaking with him a couple times, he's, he really loves this church. He loves being here. He loves being your pastor. And it's easy to see why, because uh, my wife and I were talking how everyone's just so friendly here. Now, I'm going to let you a little secret, though. There's studies been shown that almost every church <laughs> thinks that they're a friendly church. Uh, well, we're friendly to each other, but really, from an outsider's perspective, it's our first time here. Uh, everyone's just been so welcoming. And that's just awesome to see that we have brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of town who are just worshiping God and happy to be here and happy to see people maybe they've never seen before. And, you know, they don't know me. That unless they saw the earpiece, they didn't know I'd be up here teaching today. So that's just an awesome thing, and I, I thank you for that, for really putting myself and my wife at ease and our daughters. Um, we have one daughter who's a lot more brave than the other. Uh, not to compare kids. If you have children, you kind of know what I mean, though. Um, our younger one, she just went right into the, the children's area, and the other one kind of stuck behind. And I guess... She was a little bored with us because we're sitting there um, at one of the tables, and all of a sudden she turned to my wife Amy and said, I want to go back. So anyways, uh, we're real thankful. You guys have a great children's ministry back there. Um, I also have a son, Andrew, who's six months old. He's back in the nursery right now, and um, hopefully he's not too much of a pain for you guys. So uh, my name is Matt File, and uh, as Alan said, I'm a, right now I'm a PE teacher actually in Las Vegas uh, in Clark County School District at a school called Marion Earl Elementary School. Uh, it's claim to fame recently. It was about uh, six years ago. We had the swine flu outbreak, so maybe you saw me on TV. I was famous for that, but uh, kidding aside, uh, so it's different for me to wear a, a microphone. I'm used to kind of just yelling out or projecting my voice, as I call it. But as Alan alludes to, I'm also actually in seminary to be a pastor. I've been a Christian uh, just under eight years now, and I'm in an internship program at Life Baptist Church under our lead pastor. His name is Paul Gotthard. Uh, it's actually a church planting intern, and hopefully uh, someday God will utilize me and my family to plant a church somewhere else. Um, now, I'm excited to share here this morning uh, just because it's something different. And I, I love being able to teach God's Word. It's just something that I never thought I'd be able to do. I was, recently, I was thinking about where I was 10 years ago and where I am now, and it's awesome how God will take something and totally redeem it for his purpose and his cause, and I'm just excited now. Anytime someone gives me a chance to, to teach or preach, I'll, I'll jump on the opportunity. Like most people, though, I wasn't born here in Las Vegas. Uh, there's, a, there's a statistic I read that 90% of people were born somewhere else. Only 10 people are actually born here who live here. Uh, I'm, born, I'm actually from a city called Buffalo, New York. So uh, here's a little... Uh, uh, frustration because Aaron has a lot of Cleveland Brown stuff upstairs. Uh, <laughs> and, but you know, hey, we're, we're both lovable losers. I'll, I'll, I'll have to admit that one, though. We lost four Super Bowls. Never, they never been to one. I'll have to one-up them on that one. But, uh, so, but I'm from Buffalo, and actually, like I said, I'm a PE teacher. And it was, I remember when I first wanted to become a PE teacher. I was about a senior in high school, and I was in gym class. And now I would actually, uh, this is 
kind of probably tough coming from a preacher here, but I would skip other classes to go to gym. I would skip English and go play gym, and the PE teachers were kind of like, what are you doing here again? So anyways, one day my, my shoulder was hurting, and, and I go to the PE teacher. This guy's name was uh, Mr. Tutwiler, and he was kind of your stereotypical PE teacher. He had the, the warm-up suit. He would walk down the hall. Psh, 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 psh. So he was, we called him Tut. He played football at Alabama. He was a really big guy. So I go up to Tut. I said, no, my shoulder's hurting me. And he goes, well, it could be your labrum. It could be your anterior deltoid. It could be your medial deltoid. It could be, you know, your sternocleidomastoid. It could be, he just started rattling off these muscles. And I was blown away. I'm like, wow, Tut isn't a dumb jock. He actually knows his stuff. He knows a few things. So that was kind of cool because I got to see something in a different light. And I think that was the day I wanted to become a PE teacher. Uh, I was able to finally graduate high school. Uh, and I went, went away to college. And so when I went away, I had to pick a major. The first thing I wanted to become was a PE teacher, uh, just because Mr. Tutwiler kind of opened my eyes to the profession. So I went away to school, um, worked hard for me. I didn't really know how to work hard until I went away to college. And so then I graduated, and everything was guiding me towards becoming a PE teacher and also a volleyball coach. I was able to play volleyball at college, and I was coaching along the way. Uh, after my degree, I student taught. Uh, if you don't know what student teaching is, basically you pay tuition, but then you work full time. You don't get paid for it. Uh, but it was all really cool because I was under some really co- great teachers in the Buffalo area helping me become a gym teacher. Job market's really tough there, so I became a substitute teacher uh, and in all hopes of becoming a gym teacher. I envisioned my career. I had everything the way I thought it was going to be. I was going to have a gym. I was going to have a locker locker room. And, of course, that meant I was going to be working out all the time. I was going to be in great shape, um, which obviously hasn't happened. But it was going to be a supply room full of lots of equipment. The gym would be nice and decorated. I had these really cool visions of how it's going to be. You know, my plan was, was there. Uh, my students, they'd be playing games like volleyball and table tennis and, you know, team handball, and these, these cool games that I played as a kid growing up or I learned in college growing up. And uh, I realized after about a year being a substitute teacher that, that my plan wasn't really happening. Uh, my brother moved out here in 1997, and for a while he knew how the job market was tough, and I was going through some tough times, and he kept kind of recruiting me to come out here to teach. So one day I finally conceded. I applied to become a teacher here in Clark County. The next day, they actually called me right away, wanted to check my references, and you know, I was kind of excited about that. They couldn't hire me right away, but I said I'd be in, uh, in town. So about two months later, I actually interviewed with the, with the district. They, they liked me, they wanted to hire me, but they needed a principal to sign off. A little while later, there was a lady named uh, Charlotte Reddick. Uh, she was the principal at a school called Marion Earl Elementary School. She'd come across my resume, come across my file, and she really really liked it, so she called and set up an interview, and after talking for a few minutes, she actually asked to interview me there on the phone, and I was kind of confident, so I said, sure, let's go for it. Well, she, I guess she liked what she heard, and she offered me the job. Um, so about, I took a couple days, I thought about it, called her back, said, yes, I'd be happy to do it. Now, something funny happened. This is like around Memorial Day. I was planning to move out there in August. Sometime in July, I got a phone call from a guy who would eventually become a good friend of mine. Uh, his name was Armin. He's a, now, if, if you're from back east, you kind of know a lot, a lot of Italian guys back there. He's like, hey, how you doing? My name's Armin. How you doing, man? You know? So uh, he, just, he was really excited because I was from the same neighborhood as him. 
and he wanted to just talk to me about Las Vegas, about being a teacher in Las Vegas. And he says, you know there's no gym, right? I was like, what? Now, in my interview, I mentioned a few times about a gymnasium. She, Mrs. Reddick, I still call her that, uh, she said, well, talk me through your average class. I said, well, the kids walk in the gym. I'm standing in the gym. The kids sit in a circle in the gym. They leave the gym. You know, my back's to the wall. All these different things. And she neglected to kind of tell me that there was no gymnasium. How can I be a gym teacher if I don't have a gym? Uh, so I was just dumbfounded. I didn't get it. But really, looking back, uh, I didn't know Christ at the time. But I see that God was really teaching me a lot about contentment, about satisfaction, and really about him. I thought that I needed a gym to be a good teacher. I thought I needed a lot, a lot of equipment. And class sizes there were about half of what they are here. You know, but that's not true. Because 10 years later, you know, I still don't have a gym. I don't have a storage closet with lots of equipment. And my average class, class size is about 65 students. Uh, but God has provided for me everything I need to become a PE teacher, to be a good educator. And I don't think that's just limited... To education. I don't think you just come by with teachers, because teachers have it tough in this town, but I think every, every profession is going to have, have it tough somewhere. Now, has God provided me all I needed every time? Well, I don't know. Has he provided everything I want? Probably not. Everything I need? Oh, yeah. Am I content? And I think that's the important lesson here. Only after I learned about being content, about what I really need and what I want, now, I don't want to be here talking about myself. It's my favorite subject, though, is about myself usually. But I want you to think about your life. You know, has God showed you something about what you need versus really what you want? Because I think there's a great distinction between what we need and what we want. We think of our wants as needs. And we think of needs as something that's given. And it's automatically assumed we're going to have it no matter what. But this isn't just about expectations about a career or about a job. You know, it can be in our marriages, it could be within our families. It can be in our homes, the houses that we want to buy and live in, about our cars that we drive, our finances, our friends, even our relationships. And here's the tough truth. is we, It can happen as Christians. We can look at someone else's life, and we can say, hey, they have that. They must need that. How come I don't have that? Or we can even at other churches, even those in ministry. They can look at other churches and say, hey, they're growing. Why is that? I need that. Why isn't God giving me that? So what we're searching for, whether we realize it or not, is contentment, to be satisfied, have peace about it. You know, we need to be content. Happiness is great. Everyone wants to be happy. You know, I don't think anyone really doesn't like to be happy. And success is great. We love success. We love to be happy. You know, and those are things that we can kind of accumulate, that we can gain along the way to being content. But they don't mean automatically translate to being content. Just because you're happy, just because you have, are, you're successful, it doesn't mean you are automatically content with your life. The Apostle Paul knew something about this. I'd like to go over a few things that, uh, that I've learned recently through one of his epistles. It's uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'd like to read it with you. Not that I speak from want... For I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray.
Lord, you are so good to us. Father, I thank you for this chance this morning to be up here. Lord, I thank you for giving us a teachable spirit, how it's not about our expectations, Lord, but your will and your desire for our lives. As we go over this text, Father, let us give us fresh eyes to see it in a way maybe we've never seen before, Lord. Make us teachable, make us be reachable, Lord, and help us just do it as, as you see fit. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Um, when we read that verse, it's, uh, it's easy to kind of see, oh, it's, it's great. Paul, you know, Paul's a strong Christian. He was a good guy. Uh, I, I think, we, you know, context is, is really valuable here. And the kind of talk, context I'm talking about is where Paul was during this time in his life. He speaks of being content in life, of being content in Christ. He t- talks about being full and being hungry. He talks about abundance, and he talks about need. But something we might, not over, we might overlook, may not be aware of, is Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Uh, and the Roman prisons are a bit different from what we have today. Uh, the prison in Rome in which Paul was held was actually underground, a subterranean. It was located not far from the, the Forum, and it was built around 700 B.C. You know, the prison itself was basically two large rooms with two different levels and shackles to attach the prisoners to the wall. There was a Roman historian who about 100 years before Paul was in there, he wrote that the prison, it sunk about 12 feet underground, walls secure it on every side, and over it is a vaulted roof connected with stone arches. But its appearance is disgusting and horrible, by reason of the filth, darkness, and stench. The lighting was poor, uh, usually come from torches and oil lamps. The guards might have been able to light a fire, uh, maybe just for heat, or maybe to cook some food. So, and unlike today's prisons here in our country, uh, the prisoners didn't supply, had to supply their own food, their own food, their own clothing. They had to do it for themselves. For the Apostle Paul, actually, the, the church rallied around him and helped him out during that. It was Christians, including the church in Philippi, who provided this for him, who would actually, when they would hear about his need, they would come and supply that need for him. So when we, when we think about this, when we take this in consideration, what Paul says about being content in every circumstances, that means a lot. Because Paul knew that content living comes from Christ. It didn't come from really where he was. It came from Christ and Christ alone. He wrote, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Now, truth is universal. It's not relative. It doesn't, depend, it doesn't change because of where we are or how we're doing. You know, and this is true when we're content with Christ. Being content with Christ, it doesn't change with how good we're doing or how poorly we're doing. It's all about the same, about the peace we get from him. To be content is in, to be independent of others, having sufficiency in one's need. Contentment is something that doesn't come naturally to people. We're not automatically content. Um, like I said, we have a six-month-old baby, and he most of the time is content. Uh, the times he's not, he lets us know pretty quick. And he, Paul, when he talks about being content, though, he says that it's not affected by our circumstances. Even though we might have a great baby, he is not content in everything because when he needs a new diaper, he's not content anymore. But like me being, learning how to be a good PE teacher, Paul had to learn to be content. Because it isn't natural. It is something that he learned also while he was a Pharisee. Paul learned that true contentment only comes from Christ. 
Now, we may think this is 2,000 years ago, and you know, a lot of the context, whether we wrote about, those things maybe aren't true today, but he talked about things that we face today. Content living in Christ isn't affected by money. It doesn't really matter what's in your bank account. He wrote, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. I think that's something that we relate with the most, is finances, with money. Now, most of us can probably identify with humble means. But this is where we really start to learn about true contentment. You know, sometimes it, it's easy to praise God when we, like I said earlier, about what we, what we think we need to provide it for, what you know, our standard is achieved by Him. But, you know, the times we're without, we kind of wonder. We, we, we don't think of that as being content. We try to see, well, what's God teaching me during this time? Some of us may think, we may think at times, why is God mad at me? What have I done? Well, that's not true at all. He could have been showing us the difference between wanting and needing. Because that's where contentment comes in. Now, God was showing us during that time about being content, being satisfied with him and him only. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We, it's easy to spiritualize being poor. I, I think we kind of, you know, we, we romanticize it in a way about being in need. It's, it's times like that where we really see how dependent we are upon God. But what's funny is that is there, there's times when people go through the times of need and, man, God provides for them, they praise Him, and they got a great testimony from that. But when they become successful, they start to fall. Paul talked about both ends of the spectrum there. And I think the love of money comes in four, two different forms. It comes with more, and it comes with mine. You know, I want more, I want more. And also, you can't have that. This is mine. Both of them, though, show discontent. And they're opposite of what Paul was talking about the Philippians. He knew, though, that anything he had was God's, and it came from him. So when we look at what Paul was going through, I mean, think about this for a second. He was in a prison, dark, smelly. He wasn't sure where his food was going to come from. He wasn't sure where the heat was going to come from. He was probably stuck with some people he really didn't like very much. And what did he say? He was content in all circumstances because of God. So when we say that we're content, you know, it really didn't... Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. I'm going to speak personally here. There's times where we think we need a bigger house. There's going to be times where we think we need a better car, a bigger car. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you feel like you need a newer house, a bigger house. Maybe you feel like you need a better job. You deserve a raise. Does that really show we're content with Christ? Does that really show that he is all we need? You know, when we compare ourselves with others, I think that's showing discontent. That's knowing, not showing that we are satisfied. We're at peace with what God has given us in our lives. A while back, uh, my wife and I were having a conversation with, with her brother. Her brother lives up in uh, Portland, Oregon, and he's got a small little one-bedroom condo. Uh, Amy and I, we, we've been blessed with, with, a, with a nicer size house in the southwest part of town. And he was saying, oh, I can't wait, you know, to get a house like yours. And we were flattered by it, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking, well, we can't wait to have a house like our friend Christian. Our friend Christian, he owns a pool cleaning business. He's very successful. His house is probably twice the size of ours. 
Christian cleaning pools, he does some amazing houses in uh, the Spanish Trail area, which is, you know, multi-million dollar homes in the southwest part of town. While he's cleaning the pools, his thought is, I can't wait to get one of these houses. No matter what, there's always going to be a bigger house. There's always going to be a better paying job. There's always going to be things that we want to find. You know, there's a cliche, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, you know what? The grass is greener where you water it. And contentness comes only from God. It doesn't come from what we have externally. It comes from what God gives in us. So it's also not affected by our food. You know, it doesn't matter what's in your fridge. It's tough sometimes to understand how maybe a first-century Christian felt towards food. We're pretty spoiled here. Uh, on my drove, drive here from the southwest part of town, uh, I kind of counted this here on, on the maps here. It says, I saw four McDonald's, three Taco Bells, two Chipotles, two Jack in the Boxes. And that's not even including uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, where who knows how much food is out there. So when, when Paul writes, though, that I have learned the secret of being filled and being hungry, his idea of full was probably completely different from ours. We are in the town of buffets. And, man, I don't think Paul ever saw a buffet in his life. The word he used for filled, it, it means satisfied, to be full. It was also in Matthew's gospel when Jesus fed the 5,000. He talked about how they were full, that they were satisfied. So for Paul to be full was probably a big deal. It was not something he probably took for granted. It was being content in Christ that really enabled him to work through the hunger to know that, you know what, my needs have been met. Because I think we all can empathize with hunger sometimes. You know, there's different kinds of hunger, but I'm talking about physical ones. I remember there's times where I didn't know how much, you know, how much money I was going to have for the next meal I was going to be able to get. I remember, now this is uh, definitely first world problems, but I only had a couple of dollars on me, and I wanted a burger from McDonald's. Actually, it was Burger King. And I couldn't afford the cheese. So I bought the burger without the cheese, went home, put a slice of cheese on it. Now, my level of hunger was nowhere near Paul. But Paul knew something that maybe it took me a while to learn it. Content living in Christ, it reaches all areas of our life. It's not just our bank account. It's not just what we're eating. Verse 13 is a summary, of really, of what he's saying here. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I want to address something here because a lot of us, we make mistakes when we read that verse. We don't really see it in the context of a lot of different things. Too often, we kind of see it as a spiritual blank check. You know, it's, if we want it, God's going to make it happen. You know, I, God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, it's even been used for the name it, claim it mentality that, you know what, I can do all things through him. We see it on Christian t-shirts. It's even actually on my, uh, my email signature. I can do all things through him. But this isn't what the verse is talking about. It's not so much really how much God gives, but instead if we're content with what he's given us. It's not about external, but inner peace and the strength that he gives us. So I want to camp out here for a couple minutes. I, I really like going into a text and breaking it down and seeing there's a lot of worth in, the, in, in these words here, a lot of meaning to them. When Paul writes, I, even just the word I, it's emphatic. He's stressing that he is capable 
of being content. He is sharing something he's experienced. He's sharing firsthand knowledge. He says earlier that he's learned to be that way. He's not automatically assuming that the Philippians who are reading it are in the same place that he is. This is a guy who met Jesus after the resurrection, after the ascension. And he had to learn to be content. So when he says, I, he's saying, I'm not saying you're there yet. I've learned this. Then he writes, can do all things. This doesn't mean he can do anything. Paul's not claiming that God will enable him to do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to do, oh, Paul, you got it, because you know what? You can do all things. I think we got to remember verses 11 and 12, that he has seen great abundance and he's seen need. He's been full and he's been hungry. Both extremes are possible because of God. And not only that, Paul was content because of God. The last part of that verse is, through him who strengthens me. The contentment, the satisfaction, the peace that Paul had during the trials and the triumphs, it all came from God. It wasn't anything he did on his own. You know, um, there is a, uh, another cliche I like to address is, you know, and we say that the comfort people say, well, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. I think that's false. I think God will give us what he can handle through us. And that's what this verse is talking about, that he's going to give us the strength to go through those times, the strength to struggle through, the strength to find it, and also the contentment and the peace that comes through that time. So whatever happens, you know, whatever comes my way, the good times and the bad, God will provide the strength for me to get through it. Uh, and me, a few years ago, I, you know, God taught me a tough lesson about friendship, about being content in, in him only. I've, not only after high school, I became a people person. I learned I liked being around people. Um, it's hard being around people. I kind of liked hanging out with a lot of people. And so when I came, went away to college, and I was in college, I actually became a bartender. I thought it was a great scene to be a part of. I want to be around people, vibrant, everyone liked me, a lot of friends there. You know, and also I had a great group of friends back home in Buffalo. Now, after living in Vegas for about a year or so, um, I found another group of friends. I got some guys who I like to hang out with, and it was, you know, go to happy hours or, you know, have a few beers at Wild Wings. Sure, I'm out for it, you know. Now, I don't have these habits anymore. Please don't get the wrong idea. If you haven't noticed by now, I, I didn't come a Christian until later in life. But something funny happened about a year or two after I came a Christian, after I came to faith in Christ, is my friends really weren't my friends anymore. The same people who I thought it'd be cool to go running with, go hanging out with, they weren't calling me back. They weren't calling me at all. It hurt. You know, these are the people I thought were there for me, who, who were my close friends. But God was showing me, you know what, they're not. God was teaching me to be content in him. You know, and not in the friends that I had, not in the relationships I had. God wanted me to learn to be content in him, in him alone. You know, it, it makes sense because the guys I was friends with, the people I was hanging out with, they weren't Christians. And maybe a big part of the reason they stopped hanging out with me is because of who I was and the change that God was doing in my life, and they didn't like to see it. You know, I could say that oh, I feel good because, you know, I was a good, solid Christian man, and, you know, my, my, my testimony was, was good, and that shows I was being a strong Christian. They didn't want to be around me, but you know what? It didn't make me feel better that I was all alone without any friends. It hurt. Now, eventually, 
God did bring some more friends in my life. He brought some better relationships. He brought some godly men into my life. Men who had a great walk with God and who can pour wisdom into my life and, and vice versa. And just like Paul, though, I had to learn to be content with Christ. I had to be content with having him because you know what? He is greater than any friendship I can have. He is greater than any relationship, anything I can have. As much as I love my wife and I love my kids, they are blessings from him and him alone that come from him. The contentness I have from him should be the most important part of my relationship with him, satisfied with him. So, is Christ all you really need? You know, we, we, we kind of say that a lot, but when death happens, will he be enough? I didn't really, when I was writing this message and preparing for today, um, I didn't really plan on sharing this, but I'll just do it anyway. About two months ago, um, well, I'm actually the youngest of three kids. My sister's, uh, sister Jen, my brother Bob, and myself, I'm the youngest my brother Bob is 40 years old. He moved out here in Las Vegas back in 97. I mentioned him. Well, I got a phone call at about 3 in the morning uh, from my sister saying the Clark County o- coroner's office called her. Uh, they found my brother Bob dead in his sleep. He was 40. Um, the last couple months have been busy, and they've been trying for me and my family. It hasn't been easy. Now, I'm not up here saying, hey, look at me, what I've done. I tell you what, if I didn't have Christ in my life, if I didn't have that contentment, that peace, that assurance of knowing who he was, who he is, and that he is good, I could not have been able to go through that time. I could not have been able to lead my family through memorial services and through comfort saying, you know what, I don't know the answers, but I know a God who has them. That, to me, was contentment in the time of I needed it and my family needed it. So when things are going wrong, though, and when, when things like that happen, are you content with Christ? Maybe with your kids. Maybe they're getting in trouble at school. Maybe they're getting in trouble with the law. Maybe they're just bugging you. you know, will you trust God that he is good, that you are content in him? I like to look at Christ during a lot of the times, see his reaction to problems. Um, especially when storms come. This is, this is a great passage to kind of look into. So the storm happened, and, and they're in the boat. I'm not sure if you guys remember. What did Jesus do? Uh, well, Matthew 8, 24 says, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. I think that's a great picture of being content. You know, circumstances surrounding Jesus, they looked awful. The, the apostles were, were getting worried here. They're, you know, was he worried? No, man. The dude was sleeping. <laughs> I think that's a great example of being content, of having trust, of having peace, of being satisfied with a God who's going to persevere and take you through things, that you can do all things through him. So I can't, my, this message isn't going to bring contentness from you. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to walk out of here like, oh, I'm content. It's something that, you know, I hope maybe you can see doing ways to become content. That Because it, it, it comes from God alone. It comes from the circumstance he's going to give you and comes from something he's going to grow inside of you through his spirit and his spirit alone. But the first thing you can do on this is you can pray. Maybe you're unsatisfied with your life. Maybe it's your marriage, you're having a tough time. 
Maybe your kids are in trouble. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you don't have a job. Pray for peace. Being content in Christ really just comes from our relationship with him, about us spending time with him, our intimacy with him. So we need contentment. We need Christ, and only he can give that to us. Second thing to do, and this is something that I think a lot of us struggle with, is we can't focus about other people. We can't focus on what they have or maybe how they are. Comparison breeds discontent. When we focus on God, though, we don't care or even notice what others have. We don't care about our circumstances. I always like to look back to, to Peter. Jesus called him out on the water. When he was following Christ, <laughs> he could walk on the water. The second he looked at his circumstances, the second he looked at his doubt, he started going under. Now, the third thing I like to do, maybe you can do this too, is think of where you'd be right now without Christ in your life. I think that if we see really what we deserved versus what we received, man, appreciation comes, satisfaction comes, contentment comes. It's not hard to be satisfied with what God has given us when we see what he should have given us, eternal separation from him. So where do we go from here? You know, it's great to, to learn about Christian truths, but Christianity isn't really about Information. It's about application. How can we apply this to our lives? Well, imagine if Christians didn't compete with each other. Imagine if jealousy didn't happen between churches. What would happen if our faith was so rooted in Christ that when the storms around us, we're at peace? I think that shows contentment right there. And that's something that comes through only intimacy with God. Imagine a world full of Christians who were content in him. They didn't worry about things happening around them. As I said, I alluded to a couple times, I became a Christian later in life. And so I never want to assume anything. I had gone to church probably a few hundred times before I became a Christian. So, you know, I don't want to assume that because you're in here that you have a relationship with Christ. So I don't want to assume that in anyone. Most of what i talked about so far was for people who know Christ on a personal level, but maybe you don't. Maybe you're discontent with your life. Maybe you're not sure how to find peace, how to find that satisfaction in your life. You know what? You, maybe you're successful. Maybe you got a great job, but your family's falling apart. Or maybe there's other areas in your life you just can't find balance. You can never seem to get ahead. You never seem happy. That can change with one instant, with one time, with one time that God draws you close to him. And contentment may not come right away, but man, Paul had to learn it. It is something that you can have, and it is amazing to have. So I'd like to pray right now. Please, please bow your heads. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.